Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. It's Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Uh, welcome to our webcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by our guest, CNBC commentator, Jim Petakoukas, who is the DeWitt Wallace Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hi, Jim. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Awesome, awesome. Uh, the American Enterprise Institute, so everyone knows, is a Washington, D.C.-based think tank where it, uh, the Institute researches government politics, economics, and social welfare. Jim has appeared on CNN, Fox Business, MSNBC, the Nightly Business Report on PBS, and I'm excited, excited he was able to take a few minutes to speak with us today. Jim and I, many, many years ago, worked together at Investors Business Daily, um, uh, and I wanted to encourage everybody while they're here to take a few minutes to connect with Jim on Twitter. Uh, it is that uh, he's at at Jim Pethokoukas, and let me spell it for you. It's P E T H O K O U K I S. Got that? Uh, you'll be both entertained and educated by his tweets, as I am. Jim and I often have tweet little battles going back and forth. Uh, uh, Jim pays attention to me, but he's got 50,000 Twitter followers, so uh, he's got quite the audience out there. I'd also encourage everybody listening, all the financial advisors that are listening, to take a few notes during the conversation today. Uh, open up a browser, take a few notes. Uh, Jim is a, a highly sought after personality to talk about trade issues, Fed issues, and economic issues. Uh, and this will give you some great talking points with clients. So uh, on with the show. Jim, uh, I'm going to cut right into it. Uh, right. Let's let's talk trade. Let's talk trade. So you've been on CNBC a couple of times this week talking about. Um, uh, you were on CNBC Monday when the Dow was down the 600 points. Uh, you, I think you were on today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I literally just came from that studio. Just came from that studio. Right, right so here. Let, me, let, let me throw uh, one right over the plate for you. Uh, how do you think this U.S. trade, uh, the U.S.-China trade works out short-term, works out long-term? Well, I mean, I think certainly the consensus has been that this would be a, uh, that come March, maybe a little bit later, there'd be a deal uh, that the president you know, would want uh, a better stock market, a sort of a, uh, you know, a very good economy heading into elections. So for sure, we would get a deal. There might be a little back and forth, uh, but that was going to happen. And, and, and China wants a deal, too. They've had some economic issues. And they would absolutely like a deal. So at the end of the day, something would get struck. Maybe uh, China would buy some more U.S. products, whether it's energy, agriculture, maybe open up some of their markets, financial services to some extent. But absolutely, there would be a deal. And I'm wondering now if that consensus opinion might be changing just a little bit. Um, and you certainly have people in the White House. Uh, Peter Navarro is you know, perhaps the most prominent. But there are people in and outside the White House who really don't want that kind of deal, the kind of deal Wall Street has been expecting. Uh, they view this as not sort of a negotiation for a deal and then we just kind of move on, but they want a total, uh, a fundamental change of the US economic and geopolitical relationship with China. And if that's the case, and uh, if they manage to persuade the president, and that's, and that's sort of really the big question, to what extent does the president still view trade as he has for the past 30 or 40 years as an issue of trade deficits and bad deals, if we, have, we had a better deal maker like him, uh, that they would that this issue would be solved 
does he still fundamentally believe that or have sort of the, the China Hawks sort of gotten to him and he now thinks that this needs to be sort of a, a longer term, uh, you know, kind of a long war with China in which uh, the, the tariffs will stay on, uh, that will go after their companies if we feel like they're uh, acting unfairly or if we feel their national security threats. And then we saw this thing today with uh, uh, Huawei, maybe that's the case. And if that's the case, then there are going to be trade tensions uh, as kind of a, a normal course of business, I think, for investors and markets uh, for quite some time. So to me, that's sort of the, that, that is the massive question. Sort of what does the president currently believe and how does that differ from what he's believed you know, since the 1980s? Right, right. You know, you, when you were on Monday, I, I watched and you were talking about, uh, uh, is this the Trump doctrine? Is this the direction that we're going with this? And, right. Uh, yeah, well, right. So what we've had when the president's talked about trade, uh, you know, he's talked at rallies and, and he's tweeted and you can try and you can sort of after the fact, try to piece together the Trump doctrine um, if, if one exists or is he sort of just kind of reacting to reacting to news. And again, I think the I think the consensus has been he's been sort of in a reactive mode and ultimately he just wants wants to get a deal that uh, will at least lower uh, the trade deficit of the United States and China. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's that's what he thinks. Certainly when you see what's like happened as you know, as we're sort of recording this today, uh, where we've said, you know, uh, we're not going to let Huawei, you know, massive Chinese telecom companies sell in the United States. And, and we may make it much harder for them to, to obtain key U.S. Uh, you know, semiconductors for their products. That to me is a whole different ballgame. That to me says like, wow, we're, you know, we're, we're really viewing China as a long-term threat and we're going to start treating them much like we did Soviet Union, where we had all kinds of export bans of key technologies uh, because we thought we needed to defeat them as opposed to just strike a better trade deal. So uh, I mean, I think we're seeing, well, I think we, we're starting to see that idea, I think maybe seep into the markets. And if that's the case, then Boy, I'm going to be on CNBC a lot talking about trade. <laughs> you will be. You will be. You, be, you mentioned something else on Monday that uh, I found fascinating. You were talking that the um, the, the markets had views this more as a static model, and, and that you had mentioned that more of a dynamic model would be more appropriate. Yeah, I think I think you can look at you know how how much are we uh, exporting to China, and if they and if they raise their tariffs, you know, we'll be exporting less. And what are the rising costs in the United States? I think that's a, that's a it's, that's something you can model. You can just look at amounts, and you can try to make a forecast and based on the tariffs, what the price increase will be. But then you look at, you know, what do markets think? Do markets think this is a short-term thing, or they believe there's a total change in the geopolitical situation, which not only makes long-term trade conflict, economic conflict more likely, perhaps military conflict. Uh, that to me is that to me is a dynamic issue. Larry Summers. From a treasury secretary in Clinton, he just he just wrote an op-ed because he was looking at the markets and he's like, boy, the markets had a pretty big reaction, uh, especially compared to how this will actually impact profits. And maybe what markets are saying is we are entering a brand new era uh, for relations. And we've had this sort of era of a relative sort of a superpower piece, you know, really since uh, the Soviet Union fell. And maybe that's maybe that's changing. So I think that's a that's certainly a dynamic issue that's up the model. And the other one is just being sort of business confidence. Uh, I think you know, part of what we've seen in the market and in, and in the economy in the last couple of years has been more confidence about where tax rates are going to go, what's going to happen with regulation. Um, I think now there's a lot of uncertainty and that's a, that's a kind of a tax uh, based on what we've seen with trade. So I think those, those things I think are, are difficult to figure out how they play out. I think they're much bigger factors now than just simply looking at what are tariff levels, what are import export levels, and then doing the math. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. And um, it seems like the tariff issues are, are uh, while the China tariff issue is in front of us, it seems like they're also starting. Uh, earlier this week, Steve Mnuchin was out talking about the, the deal with Mexico and Canada. Uh, South Korea seeps into the stories. Is, is, trade go, is trade and trade talk going to just become part of uh, what influences markets over the next foreseeable future? You know, it, it's interesting. That wasn't so long ago that trade, you know, from, a, from a public policy perspective, looked like kind of a backwater. I mean, tariffs were way, way down. I think if you look at the, like, the trade-weighted average of tariffs in the United States and Canada, the United States and Europe, you know, it's, you know, two, three, four percent. So it's way, way down. And, you know, we would focus on these non-tariff barriers, but not a particularly exciting area of policy. Certainly that's changed. And you mentioned it sure yeah, you know, Mexico, <laughs> Europe. I think you need to reconsider every single trading relationship between the United States. Uh, not Even something that seems like it's done. Let's say we, we renegotiate this trade deal with Korea. Well, is that done? I don't know if it's done. What you know? What if? What are? The, what's the trade deficit going to look like over the next year or two, or beyond that? If Trump gets reelected, he may say, "Well, guess what? I guess we need to. Re we improved it, but now we need to, you know, reopen it again." So I don't think there's ever the book is ever closed on any of these deals. And boy, I've, I've spent a lot of my career talking about talking about taxes as a public policy, uh, which always seemed to be like the key sort of fulcrum of a lot of a lot of public policy turned on that markets cared about. Uh, but I think you're right. I think now it's going to be trade. Um, I think even beyond the Trump presidency, whether or not he wins another term, uh, I think both sides, uh, left and right, Democrats, Republicans, are really viewing China as a geopolitical foe. Maybe they have different ideas about they, what they want to do. But I think that issue is sort of permanently, you know, for the next, for as long as I can see, sort of on the public policy agenda. We'll be there, right? Well, let's switch gears a little bit, uh, coming over to just uh, economics, uh, to looking at, we've seen better than expected economic reports in the last couple of months. GDP was came in at 3.2 uh, in late April. In May, we had the strong jobs report. Uh, I know you've, you've written a couple of things on, talks about productivity as well. Let's get, uh, let's give our listeners kind of a take of uh, where you think the economy's at and where it's going. Yeah, so um, so the jobs just keep happening. So that so the jobs, you know, just sort of, you know, you know, month after month. I mean, it's it, it, the job growth has slowed down a bit, but still, you know, very impressive job growth. Uh, you know, we've seen wages, uh, you know, you know, slowly begin to tick higher. Uh, all great news, but I think I think ultimately what we want to see, uh, even we've seen you know so much stronger GDP growth. I think you want to dig down into those numbers and see where that growth is coming from. Uh, the way the tax cuts were supposed to work to boost growth. Uh, we're not just, you know, sort of pumping money into the system, but ultimately to have a lot more business investment. Business would invest in better machines. Workers have, would have better machines to use. They would become more valuable. Uh, their wages go up, higher productivity, all that great stuff. Uh, and we did see a we did see a nice productivity uh, bump up in the in the in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, that is sort of the the real story of sort of the weak economy since the Great Recession is very very weak productivity growth. Uh, I was lucky enough, sort of, the, to where you mentioned Investor Business Daily, we were sort of lucky enough to be there during really, uh, when I was there sort of in the late 90s during a massive productivity boom. Uh, tech stocks are going crazy. Perhaps the listeners remember this. Uh, fantastic. Uh, and so we saw this productivity boom from the mid-90s uh, mid to the mid-2000s. Uh, then we had the Great Recession, and productivity sort of flatlined since then. If we're seeing that sort of pick up, if, if, these, if these initial shine signs show that this beginning of a higher rate of productivity growth, which means you have a higher rate of economic growth, 
uh, without inflation, the, the Fed could stay on the sidelines. And whether that's because of the of the tax cut and and you know business investment you know has over the past um, uh, you know year or so has increased. That that's good. Uh, if it's that, or it's just that all the stuff Silicon Valley has been working on with artificial intelligence, if mm-hmm. that's keeping more into the economy, more companies are using it or taking advantage of it. Whatever the reason, uh, maybe it's all the above. If we're going to have higher productivity growth. Boy, um, then then all of those forecasts look so much better. We're gonna have you know we can have we can have a three you know a three percent or close to three percent economy with low inflation. So sort of the Goldilocks scenario that people are talking about the economy right. now it could get better. If that's what we're facing, if we're even if it's a even if it's just slightly almost as good as what we saw in the '90s, uh, that was a pretty fantastic time for stocks in the U.S. economy. I certainly remember it fondly. No, I do too. I do too. You know, you mentioned uh, the Fed there. That was going to be my next question. The Fed has fundamentally really put itself on the sidelines for the year. They've they've indicated that there's no real reason. They've indicated they're going to have a um, a wait and see, a check and look. What could bring the Fed back into the conversation, Jim? Well, I, I think if we see uh, the economy really begin to sink uh, because this trade war uh, accelerates, I mean, that that would be significant. Um, if, you know, it's been a very long expansion. Expansions don't necessarily die of old age. I think they've had one down in Australia for 30 years. Uh, uh, if, you know, if, 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 if we you know, slip into a recession, maybe the Fed acts. But I think, I think, you know, given the fact that, you know, they're kind of puzzled by continued low inflation, they have to see where you know what's going to happen with productivity growth. I mean, that was sort of that was sort of the interesting story. You know, talking about the '90s again, uh, is that uh, we had this productivity boom, and nobody in the Fed believed it, other than Alan Greenspan. There's these great stories from various memoirs of the Fed economists or other Fed members arguing with Greenspan that they thought there was not a productivity boom. Well, it turns out there was. You know, maybe that's happening again. I think something like that would certainly not bring the Fed back in, but perhaps keep it on the sidelines. Um, you know, even even longer. Um, so I think those are some of the possibilities. Ah, interesting, interesting. All right, I'm going to keep uh, moving us around. Um, not many people know that you've worked on and off with Larry Kudlow over the years. Ah. <laughs> and uh, as, as many people know, Larry Kudlow is the National Economic Council. Uh, he's, he's the director of National Economic uh, Council policy for President Trump. What do you think keeps Larry up at night, and what do you think lets him sleep well in that position? Uh I would guess he's not happy about what's happening with trade. I would think that he loves thinking about those tax cuts. Uh, that's a long-term sort of Republican and conservative goal is to greatly lower that business tax rate, uh, which happened, got it down from 21% to 35%, a pretty major achievement. Uh, so I'm sure uh, that, that that relaxes him because he said it's a major sort of lifetime accomplishment. Sure. Uh, the trade stuff, uh, I, I'm sure he's not happy about it. Uh, I, I mean, I would, I think he thinks that we, uh, that China's been taking advantage of it, but you know the fact that this doesn't necessarily there's no, we're not sure what the strategy is here. As, as I was mentioning earlier, we're not sure to what extent uh, the president views this as a tactic to get a better deal to lower the lower the trade deficit. We're not sure if this is part of kind of a long term evolution in U.S. China relations. We're not quite mm-hmm. sure. And I, I, I would guess, and I'm purely just guessing. I'm not like giving sure. any secrets um, that that's. That, that he would hope, I'm sure that he would hope that this is all getting us toward a more free trade environment. At the end of the day, there won't be tariffs, that China will respect our intellectual property, that at the end of the day, they, they won't, you know, force our companies to give them their tech, and that, you know, they'll lower their tariffs, and that we'll reach some sort of, 
free trade nirvana at the end of the day. And this, all of this humdrum and, and back and forth, that's where we're going, that the arc of the economy bends toward free trade. I, 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 would, I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a huge guess that that's what he hopes. And I think probably that's what a, a lot of us hope as well, that, that that's where we'll be, where markets are operating and we're trading and prosperity for all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, all right, let's go. This is one's going to take us a little off course, but it's one that I know you uh, rank the sweet spot. Yeah, it's a. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Social Security. Do you think Washington will muster the courage to work on Social Security to do something with it over uh, in the say the next three to five years? This is something that as financial advisors work with their customers, uh, clients, and prospects. This is a big concern for them. Where do you see Social Security going? Yeah. Uh, Certainly, if I had a client who was over the age of 50, I would say, don't worry about anything. Uh, They're not going to change anything that is going to that that is going to affect uh, your retirement planning. I'd be very skeptical of that. Um, if they have to if they have to raise taxes, on, they, they'll, they'll do it on younger uh, on younger uh, workers, uh, or they'll just you know, or they'll just borrow the money. But they're not going to change that fundamental deal. I think with certainly people who are sort of getting into that uh, that retirement red zone um, or you know over 50, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I, so that wouldn't factor. Now listen, if I if I had a, if I had a client who was 25, I would say listen, things we don't they, they could they could change that deal. Uh, they can they can maybe maybe make Social Security some sort of you know flat benefit that then phases out. They could raise they could raise tax those payroll taxes. I think all that stuff would be on the table. Sure. Uh, I think not for older workers. Not for older workers. Perfect. Okay, here's my last one question for you, Jim. Uh, oh, yeah, can you jump in and say, listen, I still say Mike Woods, finest editor I ever have. Whenever, whenever, <laughs> whenever I talk to you, I say, listen, I've had some good editors. Not everyone as good as Mike Woods. Oh, uh, Jim, you, that's because I only had to use a light touch with you. <laughs> for people who don't know, Jim was a Jeopardy champion, too. Back in 2002, you were... Uh, 2002, but it wasn't like these guys now who are like uh, who game it out and they're making a hundred thousand dollars or so. I wish I'd figured that one out first. Ain't it the truth? Yeah, uh, ain't it the truth? Okay, so here's your crystal ball. Uh, you're a financial advisor. You're working. You've got 200 clients. You've got some prospects. You what what economic and financial concerns would you have as a financial advisor over the next five or ten years in those kind of time frames as you're talking to your customers on their retirement and their investment plans? Yeah, my my biggest concern would be that this sort of bump up in growth we saw just kind of, it ends up petering out and we kind of go back to an economy that's kind of a slower growth economy. And I think if that's the case. I think that changed our politics in a bad way where we begin to focus a lot more on redistribution, on if average workers aren't doing well, then there'll be more calls for higher income taxes and higher business taxes and a lot more government spending when we already have a, a debt GDP ratio, which is on the higher end historically. I mean, it's doubled over the past 10 years. I'd be worried about, we haven't really experienced that as a country. Like we already had 10 years. Now imagine like another 10 years where the economy you know, goes back into that kind of post-recession rut. Uh, I don't know what the politics looks like. I'm not sure what kind of policies exactly flow from that, but I would worry it's not good. So I would much rather deal uh, with an economy that's growing, you know, two and a half, three percent, and I'll take my chances. Gotcha. Perfect. Well, Jim, thanks again. Thanks for doing this. Like I said, I know it's a real busy week for you with uh, appearances here and there, uh, 
appreciate you giving insight. Uh, we've got uh, 40,000 financial advisors on our platform now, and they will love to hear insights from you. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.